Well, church, let me invite you to open up uh, your Bible with me to the New Testament letter of Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. That's how we uh, remember that. Ephesians chapter 2 this morning as we uh, start a new message series from Ephesians chapter 2 over the next uh, few weeks together. One of my uh, mentors in the ministry uh, has said this. He says, the big lie today is that we find ourselves by living for ourselves. We find ourselves, who we really are, we find ourselves by living for ourselves. That's uh, the message of our day, is it not? Uh, Go discover who you are. Go try it. Go try something out. And if you don't like it, if it doesn't fit, then go do something else. It's all about you. Have it your way. Just do it. It's my way or the highway mentality. Well, church, the Bible tells us clearly, quite clearly, who uh, we really are, and it's not the message of our day. The Scriptures tell us, God uh, tells us that we are broken, that we are lost, that we are in need of Him. It's not a comforting message. It's not uh, a reassuring uh, message. It's not a heartwarming message, at least not in, in the very beginning. You see, the greatest problem with the world today and in any day, the greatest problem with the human race, the greatest problem with us uh, is that we are estranged from God. We're broken. We're lost. We're dead in sin apart from God's intervention. And the Bible calls this uh, predicament that we are in apart from a Savior as death. Describes it as death. It's not an an attractive picture. Uh, That's not... Uh, a comforting message. It's not a heartwarming message, but that is the message of Scripture. And if we deny it, then we minimize Christ and we risk missing the gospel itself. So church, for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, basic concepts of the gospel. We're going to be revisiting the idea of sin and grace and doing so from Ephesians chapter 2. So as you find your place there in Ephesians chapter 2, Uh, Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible uh, reads this way. Paul writes, he writes to uh, the church, the first century church in Ephesus. He says this, he writes to believers, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, we do come before you this morning. Uh, We acknowledge that this is your word. Lord, as people of faith, we long to be instructed by it. We long to be corrected uh, from it. Uh, We desire to honor you. So Lord, speak to us now, for we are listening. Conform us, shape us, that we might be faithful instruments uh, and agents of the gospel. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The church, you may be seated. Well, my nephew uh, received uh, for Christmas, he, he got a, a pretty remarkable Christmas gift. He got this new virtual reality gaming system. Uh, and over the Christmas holiday, I had the opportunity to try that thing out for a few minutes. Quite impressive. 
Uh, I have to say, you, you put these goggles on and immediately it's as if you enter this other world, this three-dimensional world, so much so uh, that you begin to forget uh, what's really going on around you. You, you begin to do things and act a fool and, and there are people watching you, but you don't care because you forget that they are even there. In fact, uh, Oculus, who is the maker of uh, this system, describes it this way. Uh, they say that they are making it possible to experience anything, anywhere, through the power of virtual reality. Now, no doubt, uh, this and perhaps other uh, similar systems will be used for great good, but we also know that in a matter of time, this will also become the channel of great evil and, and great harm. In the real world, in real life, we can't ignore what is going on around us. We can't ignore what is really happening, what is really taking place in the world. But sometimes we try to get as close to a VR world uh, as we can, a VR reality, I think, uh, as close to it as we can by choosing to believe what we want to based on our feelings and our desires and our wants and what we want to be true. We begin to make up a world all of our own without any sort of authoritative uh, basis other than me, right? Other than my preferences. And the truth is, in many circles, we begin to do this at times with our faith. Picking and choosing components of religion that are comfortable, that we want to carry over, that we want to believe, that we want to be a part of, that we want to confess, that are consistent with our feelings, our experiences, our emotions, longings, all the while eliminating and ignoring others that perhaps are a bit less popular and, and more disruptive. And no doubt, church, there are secondary and even tertiary convictions of our faith from the Scriptures. But we cannot afford to ignore or minimize or reduce the central components of the message of the gospel. And I believe one of those central truths is conveyed right here in our text for today. And it is this, that prior to conversion, we lived in rebellion against God. Friends, prior to conversion, we lived in rebellion against God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, Paul is writing to believers. The Spirit is speaking to believers through the Word today, saying, you may be a believer now. You may confess this to be true now. You may claim the name of Christ now. You may know that you're forgiven now. You may have a longing to honor God now, but there was a time in your life when that was not so. There was a time in your life when you lived as an unbeliever. There was a time in your life that you lived for yourself with no regard for God and the things of God. There was a time in your life and my life when we were at the center. When we ignored God's standards, when we rejected His boundaries, when we crossed His standard or shirked away from our responsibilities that He has given us simply based on our own personal preferences. The Scripture says that all of us at one time lived in this way. As for you, plural, you 
were dead in your transgressions and sins. You know, perhaps like politicians from time to time, there's a temptation that we preachers have, and that is to, uh, to reduce our message at times to palatable uh, sound bites, uh, reassuring messages, or perhaps entertaining stories with a motiv- motivational moral message, uh, with a minimal call for repentance and change, all in order to gain a crowd, gain an audience, or eliminate discomfort. And no, there may be some positive things that have come from sort of watered-down, attractional approach to the church. This is actually quite dangerous. But it is not new. In fact, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ, God spoke to the religious leaders of his day, to the prophet Jeremiah, calling them to, uh, calling them, uh, to speak the truth. Not, not to sugarcoat the sin situation, the, the problem among his people. Jeremiah chapter 6, uh, verse 14. Listen to what the Lord said through Jeremiah. In fact, I'm going to back up to verse 13. He, the Lord says, from the least to the greatest... All are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike. All practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say. When there is no peace. Friends, prior to conversion, we lived in rebellion against God. Meaning there was no peace with God. The most important relationship that we could have, the most important relationship that any human could have, the relationship between us and God was broken. It was disrupted. It was estranged. We were estranged from God because of our sin and rebellion against Him. We had gone our own way. But for this reason, in the providential plan of a patient and loving and gracious and merciful God, in the fullness of time, Christ Jesus came. He came to, to reconcile us to God, to provide salvation and forgiveness of sins, to provide peace between us and God by way of the cross. But prior to our repenting and trusting in Him for salvation, prior to our conversion to faith in Him, we lived, friends, under the rule of sin. Before Christ, before Christ in our lives, sin controlled our lives. Church, I believe the Scriptures teach, I believe Paul is saying here, I believe the Bible teaches right here and elsewhere that prior to conversion, prior to faith in Christ, sin controlled our lives. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. In the first century Greek world, the idea of being dead spiritually carried the connotation of morally and and spiritually lacking, deficient, like disobedient children who ignore a standard, who ignore a a, a law, a rule. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The idea of spiritual death in the scriptures means a number of of things. It has a number of connotations in different places. Firstly, it means uh, the penalty for our sin against God. It also means the chaos that results in the world as a result of sin. And it can also refer to eternal separation with God because of our sin. Jesus himself uses this imagery 
He picks up on this imagery. He, he can, communicates through this imagery what it means to, to pass over from death to life. John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will, will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. See, according to the Bible, there are only two groups of people. There are only two camps of people. There are only two categories of people. Those who are dead in transgressions and sins and those who have been given new life in and through Jesus Christ. And according to God's Word, no one, no, no matter how revered a saint today, no one started out in this category over here of life in Christ. We all started out our human experience dead in sin because of our natural sin nature, our bent to go our own way, our rebellion against, against God. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. In other words, there's an idea of here uh, of a living death. How ironic to speak of, of living in the realm of, of the dead. Like a cancer that spreads through a body without our even knowing it. Everything feels fine. There's something wrong with us. Apart from God's intervention through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are dead in our sin. We are lost without Him. Literally, uh, Paul is saying here, in which you used to walk. In which you used to walk. A, a favorite word of Paul's to describe behaving in a particular way. Remember in Philippians, he instructs Christians, he says, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. In other words, behave in a way that's consistent with the message uh, that you believe. So he's saying here that unbelievers... Those who have not repented and turned to Christ for salvation. Those who remain dead in transgressions and sins, like all of us once did, walk around in this sphere. We lived in our sin. Unbelievers live in sin. This is the dominant voice in their lives. This is the default voice in our lives apart from and before Christ and without Christ. It's our natural bent, the bent of the flesh. But not only is that the default of our sin nature, but this is also, friends, the way of, of the world. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Before Christ, not only did sin control our lives, but before Christ, we lived by the world's standards. Before Christ, we lived by the world's standards. In other words, this predicament, this problem that humans find ourselves in and our relationship with our Maker is larger than any one of us. The, the world reinforces this rebellion against God. The world rejects its Maker. Remember, this is what John said in his Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 10, when he's writing about the coming of the Son of God in human flesh. He says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize him. Friends, like a, a farming implement that breaks up the ground, making the nutrients in the soil more accessible, 
encouraging seeds to to germinate and, and grow. The ways of the world, the values, the standards of the world, the pursuit of pleasure and profit and popularity and power are cultivated in us. They encourage this sickness of our souls. Making it easy to live in this realm. Making it natural and even at times desirable to remain dead in our sins and transgressions. Before Christ, sin controlled us. Before Christ, we lived by the world's standards. And finally, before Christ, Satan encouraged our sinful tendencies. Satan encouraged our our sinful tendencies. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. For a time in the ancient world, the air was believed to be that realm between the earth's surface and the moon, inhabited by spiritual powers which many feared. In Paul's day and in his context, in the context of Ephesians, no doubt the ruler of this realm The ruler of this kingdom is none other than the devil himself, Satan. And Satan is far more dangerous, church, than any mythical character. He is real. And he longs to lure us into believing that rebellion against God is the best way for us to live. And he is at work even now among those who are disobedient. Meaning those who are unbelievers. Those who reject the message of truth. Ephesians chapter 1 verse, verse 13. So believers, we, we acknowledge that, that He is alive. That He is working. That He is active. That He opposes us. That He opposes the way of the Lord. But we have no fear of Him because we know the one who defeats Him. We, we know Jesus Christ the victor. We know the one who conquers sin and Satan in the grave. We know the one who... Paul has just reminded his readers is far above, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. We know this one. John writes to his audience, recorded in 1 John chapter 4, he writes to caution them concerning false teachers, false prophets. He warns them of evil spirits at work in the world, and he reminds them that Christ Jesus is the victor and that the Spirit of God is, is present in those who believe. First John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You, dear children, those you believers, you children of God, you people of faith, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Though we... We're once dead in our sin. Though we were once lost. Though we were once going our own way. Though we were once succumbing to the ways of the world and the temptations of the flesh and the lure of Satan. As believers who've repented and trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, we know that the gospel gives us hope. That the coming of Jesus Christ gives us hope. That Jesus has come to address this predicament. He's come to provide a promise from the Lord. He's come to offer reconciliation and restoration 
for those of us who were dead, who are dead in our sins and in need of a Savior. See, Jesus comes for more than assurance and affirmation. Jesus came for more than a kind word and a helping hand. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to rescue us. He came to save us. He came to do for us what we could not do on our own. We need His rescue. We need a rescue that only happens through Jesus. So church, let's admit our perilous plight apart from Jesus. Let's admit our perilous plight apart from Jesus. Prior to conversion, we lived in rebellion against God. Don't believe the big lie. Don't believe the lie that says you find yourself by living for yourself. No, you find yourself. You find who you really are. You find who you were meant to be by losing yourself in the life of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Friends, without Christ, we are on the broad road that leads to destruction. Without Christ, we remain dead in our transgressions and sins. Without Christ, we continue to succumb to the temptation of the flesh, the sin nature in us. Without Christ, we continue to value the ways of the world. Without Christ, we continue to be lured away by Satan himself. But those who've repented and turned to the Savior who has gone, those who've repented and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation are no longer without Christ. We are in Christ as those who've passed from death to life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, shall not die, but have eternal life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, the phrase used to describe those who, who have faith in Christ, those who are His, those who follow Him, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. So friends, if, if we are in Christ, how could we not consider His saving work with gratitude in our hearts? Let's admit our perilous plight apart from Jesus and let's consider Christ's saving work with gratitude for He has come. Christ Jesus has come. The Savior has come and He will come again. He has come and He has conquered He has paid it all. He has paid the debt we owe. And He extends to us grace upon grace. In His sovereign mercy, He has rescued us. And He longs to give us. He will give all those who repent and turn to Him. He will give us what we do not deserve forever and ever and ever because of His mercy. Let's admit our perilous plight. Let's consider Christ's work with gratitude. And finally, church, let's engage the spiritual battle for the lost. Let's engage the spiritual battle for the lost. For Paul says, this is what you once were. He says, this is what all of you once were. You were dead in your sins. You were following the ways of this world. You lived this way. This is what you once were. Meaning that this is still what unbelievers are today. Still unconverted unbelievers live in rebellion against God. As we 
perhaps know from experience, as we see from the Scriptures today, great odds are stacked against them. In the sense that the sin nature is strong. The ways of the world reinforce it, and Satan himself longs to deceive them. So because this is true, we must, as believers in Jesus, as those who have gone from death to life, as those saved by the grace of God, we must engage the spiritual battle for the lost, making the most, as Paul writes in chapter 5, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So friends, let's make the most of every opportunity through the ministry of the Word and through fervent prayer. Sharing the news of the Savior who has come. Sharing the news of the God who reconciles, the God who forgives us in His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And praying fervently for unbelievers in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, and all over the world to be pricked with the truth of the gospel and come to know and follow Jesus Christ. For this is a battle that only the Lord can win. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for being a God who has dealt mercifully with us. Lord, we once, all of us once, were dead in our sins. We were lost. We were going our own way. We were ignoring you, living for ourselves. And in your mercy, by your grace, you saved us through the coming and living and dying and rising of Jesus that we might have life. Lord, forgive us where we fail you. Forgive us where we continue to go our own way. Forgive us where we forget of your mercy. Forgive us for thinking too much of ourselves and too little of Jesus. Lord, draw us to you once again. May we be captivated by the love of the Savior. May we honor you with our lives. And Lord, may we honor you now as we respond to you and your saving work. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.